a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking about an issue, Keith, that could have a severe impact on the world, in diplomacy across the world, trade across the world, and that is the ongoing tensions between the US and China. And I don't think people really, really fully appreciate how much we're tiltering on an edge here. Yes, this is an issue which is going to possibly spill out and haunt us for quite a while. It actually began uh, last year when um, President Trump decided to uh, create a trade war with China. The argument is that China has benefited a great deal from its relationship with the United States. The phrase from President Trump is that China has been raping the United States. And so President Trump has announced tariffs on Chinese imports. And then in in May of this year, he increased those tariffs from 10% to 25%. So it's actually increasing the pressure on China. It's interesting that um, international financial authorities reckon that both countries, both the United States and China, will have reduced gross national product because of this, China even more so than the United States. And of course, the problem is that it could then just filter out through the rest of the global economy, including affecting countries like Australia. So this is a really big development that's taking place. Because it's international trade, a lot of people get confused about what's covered by it, and so they don't pay enough attention to it. But who knows, it could tip the global economy into a new recession. So how long, so as you said, this has been going on since last year, Keith, you know, the conversations between China and America. How has it gotten this bad? Talk us through what's happened in the last 12 months to get to this point. I mean, we we knew that Trump really wanted to win out of his relationship with China anyway. How has it gotten to this stalemate, if you will? Well, the problem actually goes back uh, 40-odd years when China, China's leader, Mao Zedong, died. That was 1976. And then in 1979, Deng Xiaoping becomes the new leader and suddenly opens up the Chinese economy. So prior to that, China was very just narrowly focused on itself, very limited trade with the rest of the world. And then with the ending of uh, Chairman Mao's form of communism and this new market-driven communism, if that's not a contradiction in terms, with this new style of Chinese communism, China opened up to the world, has become the manufacturing centre of the world and has done very well from a, an undervalued yuan in, the, in, in terms of trade and following the Japanese pattern. Japan recovered from World War II. It was disarmed by the United States, which saved a lot of money because it didn't have any money for defence purposes, focused on rebuilding the economy, had a, an undervalued Japanese currency, the yen, And then if you look back to the period of the United States and Japan in the 1960s, late 60s, early 70s, the worry was that Japan was going to overtake the United States. Um, And so the United States had a trade war with Japan, which resulted in um, uh, tensions between those two countries. Ironically, it is now the tension between the United States and China, which is causing the worry. And of course, China is far more significant for the global economy than Japan was. And so the worry is that this will be an issue that flows through and affects a number of issues. The technical term for this is political risk or sovereign risk, sovereign referring to government. So we've got the Americans who are imposing tariffs on Chinese imports. So the immediate uh, loss is actually felt by American consumers because if you impose a tariff, in other words, an extra tax 
on the imports from China, then you increase the price. The government takes the, the tax uh, and that goes into consolidated revenue. The price is therefore higher for the average American who wants to buy, I don't know, Apple iPhones, etc. So the immediate loss is felt by American consumers. Another form of loss will be for Americans who are producing items that will be sold back in China, such as some foodstuffs. Uh, and so you, you get a problem then that um, people who are particularly working on the land, many of whom are actually Trump supporters, will end up uh, losing their market share. And so Trump is arguing, I'm not sure this is going to come to pass, but Trump is arguing that by raising the tariffs on imports from China, he will have a large bucket of money which he can then give to American farmers to help them get over the fact that they're losing markets in China, which I guess means that they will simply plough the soil back into the ground because they won't be able to sell the stuff, but they will just get... Um, arrangements, you know, financial arrangements from the United States. They subsidies instead. <laughs> subsidies. But that doesn't help their self-worth. No, it doesn't. You know, John Wayne, the the actor, um, deliberately bought land which was suitable for growing tobacco, knowing that he will be paid by the American government not to grow tobacco. It was a part of the US government's policy of trying to stabilise prices. So you do get parts of the American farming community that are used to government handouts. And John Wayne, the, the Hollywood actor, some years made more money from government subsidies than actually from Hollywood movies. So th th there's quite a history of all of this. Now, Trump, when he comes to power, came to power partly by whipping up a campaign against China. Uh, the Americans feel very threatened by China. You know, we have looked at what's called this Thucydides trap. In other words, that Thucydides, the Greek historian, some would say the father of the writing of history, Thucydides talked about an established uh, power being challenged by a rising power. Um, and this is the war between Athens and, and Sparta and the way in which it created real problems in that corner of, of the Mediterranean. And so the Thucydides trap, as it's been called by Professor Graham Allison of Harvard, is when you have an established great power which is being challenged by a rising power. The most recent uh, example of that being England and Germany and the lead up to World War I. So now we're heading, Graham Allison would say, into a new Thucydides trap where you've got the United States as the established great power and you've got China rising up to compete against it. So in a broader narrative, you do have the issue of a rising China competing against the United States in a number of ways. One of them is in trade. Another uh, development which would be a worry, um, and this comes under the heading of political risk or sovereign risk, is by the United States imposing tariffs on, in this case, Chinese goods, it sends a warning to other companies overseas or other countries that the United States could do it to them if it falls out with those countries. So that is political risk which needs to be focused in to your deliberation. So Australia is an export country. Would there be a time when the Americans would be offended about Australia? I can't imagine that would be the case. But suddenly Australia could find itself being punished by the Americans the way the Americans are punishing China at the moment. Now, this is a shows my ignorance when it comes to understanding the whole trade thing, which I think most a lot of people probably don't understand on the same level that you might or, you know, other people would. So uh, just indulge me for a moment, yep. Keith. We place a huge amount of emphasis, being Australians, on a free trade a deal with China. It has almost made us a rich country, really. We've relied mm. upon them for our wealth in the last couple of decades. Why does not 
the US look, why do they have a different relationship? Why is trade not as important to them with China? Well, um, the American economy is not only larger, it's also more self-sustaining. They think they can exist without having to trade with China. We can't. You know, we, we sell China raw materials. The Americans figure that what they sell is not so much just raw materials, but they sell finished products, etc. Their worry is that the Chinese steal their intellectual property. Now, we don't have too much intellectual property. We're in the business of digging minerals out of the ground or growing crops or meat, meat stuff. Uh, we don't do highly value-added uh, technology products, for example. So that's a complaint from Trump uh, or one of the complaints from him. So that's one of the reasons why people are concerned that, you know, President Trump is saying we need to build Apple in America. The problem is you can't build Apple in America. You can design Apple products in America, but Apple products themselves are assembled in China from components made in Vietnam or Taiwan. In other words, countries that are cheaper than America's labour costs. So the problem then for the United States is that they're caught up, like the rest of the world, in a global supply chain. So you just can't now suddenly say to Apple, bring all of your manufacturing back onto the American mainland. That can't be done now. You need to have the involvement of Chinese, Taiwan, Vietnam, etc., as part of that global supply chain. But just quickly, uh, Trump, one of the things he kept saying repeatedly during his campaign was the fact he was going to bring manufacturing back to America. Now, that to anyone with half-sensed, you know, mind, you go, well, that's never going to happen because why would you, would you pay, like, uh, not, not that this should happen, but pay z- next to zero for workers in Bangladesh and China yep. and India and all these places to make make produce or, you know, what I mean, product. I'm yeah. a bit tired today. I'm, I'm losing my words, Keith. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why would they? That was never going to happen. No, well, you're being perfectly rational and sensible. But a lot of people feeling very angry supported Trump's point of view. And they saw Trump as a business person running for the White House. They figured that a business person would know more about international trade and therefore they had confidence that he'd be able to sort the things out for them. Now, you and I know that that's not the case. And in fact, if you look at the history of manufacturing, there is a window of opportunity for every country. So if you take shipbuilding, for example, which we used to do in Australia, we can't do that now. It's gone offshore. It's gone to Singapore and then from Singapore to South Korea, etc. Every country gets an opportunity for that window of opportunity. But then the window closes because labour costs go up or other countries come along who develop those same skills. It's a bit like uh, manufacturing the steel. Britain started off the steel revolution as part of the modern era, beginning in, say, 1750. Then what happened is is that the Indians said they would like to make steel. And uh, one of the leaders of British steel industry um, about, what, 80 years ago said to this Indian, uh, you will never make steel. Now it's the Indians who make far more steel than the British, and they're actually buying steel mills. Uh, but having difficulty, by the way, one Indian company recently sold a, a steel mill for a pound just to get it off the books. So it's very interesting that Britain, which invented steel manufacturing in the modern era, no longer can be a big producer of steel. I might just say that one of the best examples of British steel manufacturing is literally down the road from where we're sitting at the moment, Sydney Harbour Bridge. That was built in an era when Australia said it didn't have any iron. So all the stuff came in from England... And we built the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Now, we, of course, are a major producer of iron, but in the fullness of time, we will be replaced by Africa. Mm. 
as China opens up the global economy with its Belt and Road Initiative, so you will find other countries coming on stream, which means this is the nature of the modern economy, that it's always changing, it's always dynamic, etc. And so my own feeling is that President Trump should have spent more time just saying to the workers, well, not only Trump, but uh, Bush and Obama, we have got to re-educate you to get away from working in the old-fashioned industries and focus on the new emerging industries. That's, that's where the future of America is, not trying to recreate an industrial past which is gone and cannot be recreated. Or if it is recreated, it'll be done by robots. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking about a pretty important issue today that has been around, well, for the last 12 months, been making headlines, but in recent weeks, it's really amped up the rhetoric around this one, US-China uh, relationships and specifically when it comes to trade talks. Uh, and let's just talk for a moment, Keith, about the ramifications. If this does go sour, what will be the ripple on effects around the world? Well, the rippling effects will be a reduction in global trade levels. So both the United States and China will have a reduced gross national product. Remember, Australia relies on a growing China. That's how we are the wonder down under. We've gone for 28 years of consecutive economic growth. We are the only Western country to have that record since records began collected in 1750. It's a remarkable achievement. The Economist magazine calls Australia the wonder down under, mm. right? So part of that has been due to our good relationship with China. We don't want anything to disrupt China's growing economy. Uh, now, it's going, it's slowing down a bit, uh, but it's still nonetheless growing and therefore consuming our raw materials. And also we benefit from a wealthier Chinese population because um, young Chinese come to Australia to study. Um, the export of education, as it's called, educating overseas students, um, is Australia's third largest export. So by all means, look at, at coal and iron, but bear in mind that education is number three. In Victoria, state of Victoria, it's number one as the export industry. So we have been able to redevelop our economy, but it's still on the basis of what China is doing. So we're growing closer and closer. 30% of our export revenue comes from one country, which is China. So that we can't afford to have China going down any more than our global partners can do so. We've got to find a way of the economy continue to ticking over. But there is, of course, this broader narrative of the way in which countries will suddenly say, well, if America can make life so difficult for one country, we, we might be the next. Therefore, there is this what I call political risk, sovereign risk, that in fact you'll get other countries saying, well, is it right to put your eggs in the American basket when the Americans can behave so irrationally as they're currently doing? A second problem for America is that the Chinese will say, you cannot rely on the Americans, therefore we need to find alternative suppliers. Like, for example, for the um, mobile phone technology. Um, it, uh, Huawei, which a very controversial company, but a good company, it's the biggest in the IT. Huawei are now going to be excluded from, by looks of it, Google products, right? So what it'll now be doing is going to Samsung, which is in South Korea, or Nokia, or Ericsson, and saying, can you supply components that we used to get from the United States, or they will start to build their own, in which case the long-term loser is the United States. Well, that's, Be yeah, that's what I would have thought, though, Keith. <laughs> like, why are they not, it seems like they're chopping off their nose despite their face. Like, why would, you, why would this ever be a good thing for them? 
in well, the longer term. You and I are globalists, right? Mm. You know, we believe in international trade. There is a separate point of view, not that I agree with it, but there is a separate point of view, which is that of an economic nationalist who would say, look, you need to work just on your own country. You don't need to bother to trade overseas. I think that era has gone. We're living in an increasingly globalised world where countries need to work together and it's in their own interest for them to do so. But that is a different mindset from the one that President Trump articulated so well in the 2016 election when he was talking about making America great again, put America first. Well, if you have that sort of nationalist viewpoint, then in effect you're saying we can do without the rest of the world. The problem for America is that others will say, well, then we can do without relying on America. Yeah, let's just form a big relationship outside that with the Americans. Yeah. Do yeah. not become reliant upon the United States. So long term, there could be real risks for the Americans in this. So watch this space type scenario, Keith. Absolutely. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.